My message is entitled this morning, Standing Firm. Standing Firm. I believe that God wants us to stand firm. Stand firm in His presence. Stand firm in Him. Stand firm against every attack or plan that the enemy has against us. And you know, I want you to know something. That the enemy has been around a long time. A lot longer than most of us, all of us, have been. You know, the enemy and his little minions, they've been around a long time. But God, God has given us everything we need to be able to overcome. Jesus said, I have overcome this world. And in Him we also can overcome. Are you with me? All right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1. And, and this is such, an empowerful, such a powerful statement that, that Paul's going to make here this morning. And I believe that he, he so desperately wanted to come to get through to the children, you know, to the early church at that time, the church in Corinth. Um, and it's amazing because it's just so relevant and so important for us to pay attention to what he's saying here right now. So let's get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. This is so powerful. He starts by making a statement. And, and you know, so often, and I say this very often, we just read over the text and we don't really examine what is he actually trying to tell us here. And why is this so important? He says here, listen, I don't want you to be unaware when he says that, what is it that we must not be unaware of? Or what is it that we must pay attention to? So he's saying here, I don't want you to be unaware. Or you could basically say, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. And he says, the children of Israel, those that were in the wilderness, they all, they were, they were, they were all in the cloud. They, they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. In other words, listen, the children of Israel, they got to see the Red Sea parted. They got to see the, the Egyptians get swallowed in the sea. They came through that into the salvation that God had for them. In, through the waters, through the other side, they came through that. They experienced the presence and the power of God. There was a cloud in the day and a fire, a fire by night. They, 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 they all experienced, all of them, every one of them, were without excuse because every one of them had experienced the goodness, the power, the mercy of God, the supernatural hand of God. Listen, listen the Bible tells us that He is Almighty God. He revealed to the children of Israel that He is the God above all gods, that there is no one that compares to Him. He revealed to, 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 to Abraham, He revealed in Scripture several times, over and over, God reveals clearly that there is no one that compares to Him. And He wants you to understand that these children of Israel 
had all experienced this, they'd all seen it, they'd been taught it, they'd gone through it. So they'd all experienced, they've all been a part of this experience. And he's setting you up here to tell you something that might shock you. Watch this. He says, but, but with most of them, everybody say most of them. God was not well pleased. He says, listen, even though they all went through all of this good stuff, he says, with most of them, he was not well pleased. And you must understand, he's telling us this. Remember how he starts. I do not want you to be unaware that even though they all experienced that goodness, that deliverance, that salvation, that baptism, that power, everything that experienced, God was not pleased with them. And he's going to tell us why. And he's going to tell us why he's telling us this as well. And how many of you believe that we should probably pay attention to that? Because he wouldn't have written it if it wasn't important. Are you, are you all in agreement? Okay, everybody hold on to their chairs. Here we go. He says, he says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after things as they also lusted. So he's telling us, listen, all of these things that happened are there for us as an example. In other words, the Old Testament teachings and what took place in the wilderness is not just a story that you should read to your kids and hope that they understand something. There is purpose for it, and primarily it's because it's an example for you, not an example because they didn't really go through it. They went through it, but he's saying it's an example because I don't want you to make the same mistakes. How many of you know if you get, if you get punched once and you know it's coming a second time, you should probably move out the way? What would you say about someone that stood in front of that punch the second time? Maybe, you know, maybe he didn't realize it was coming again, right? But if it's the third time and the fourth time, how many of you know he's just not learning from his mistake? So he's saying, listen, these things have happened as an example so that you don't make the same mistakes. And the reason why is because what we must understand is that these mistakes can be costly. These mistakes can harm us. You must understand, as soon as we start reading this list, some of you are going to get very uncomfortable. But what you must understand is God doesn't put these things in Scripture because He wants to be mean, because He doesn't want you to have fun. He puts these things in there because He doesn't want you to be harmed. Because He loves you. Because He loves me. That's why He puts them in there. And then He makes sure that in the New Testament, that when we read and learn about what took place in the Old Testament, we understand that the mistakes that they made and the good things they did, we can learn from them, do the things they did well, and not do the things that they didn't do well. So that we don't have to suffer the same way that they did. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to fulfill your destiny. I am not a Christian to just get to heaven. 
I am a believer. I am a servant of the Most High because I believe the day I got saved, I'm on a mission to fulfill my destiny into the next life. Thank you for your overwhelming excitement. (laughs) That should be so exciting to us to know that, listen, this story is only the beginning of your story that your life and your journey on earth is only the beginning and God will take you into eternity to fulfill your purpose. Your purpose is beyond this earth only. This is an absolute truth that you must grasp because it does begin to change the way we live. God does not want us to survive. He wants us to overcome so that we can also, listen to me, be champions in the kingdom. Amen. All right, let's move on. Okay. He says, now these things, verse 6, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also did. So what is it? What did they do? We should pay attention. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down, to eat and drink and rose up to play. In other words, listen, God had a purpose for them to get to the promised land. But they were focused on their pleasures. They were focused on the things of this world. And it's not that God doesn't want to give you good things. But your priority, the Bible says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, He must be placed first. And if you begin to lust after the things of this world and focus only on those things, it's going to cost you. Amen. In other words, are you with me? All right, good. He goes on and he says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. One day. You must understand that we bring this topic up, sexual immorality, not because we're trying to spoil again your fun, but because it's one of those things that does harm us. It is something that causes pain and hurt, breaks up marriages, causes a lot of struggle for young people. It is a very difficult, difficult thing. And the Bible is clear over and over that it is something that is harmful. To the point where in the children of Israel, what happened was Balak wanted Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And this is what he's actually referring to. And what happened was he could not curse them because they were God's chosen people. So what he did was he said, listen, send the woman, send the Moabite woman so that the men can fall so that the enemy can destroy them. And that's exactly what happens. Are you with me? You are a covenant child of God, but there are certain things that can bring harm to your walk with God. Is it an unpardonable sin? No, but it most certainly can harm you. And you must understand it is mentioned in Scripture over and over. And the reason why is because it is one of those things that can really harm you. All sin is not equal. I know that's not nice to hear, but it's true. The Bible says there are sins that lead unto death and there are sins that lead not unto death. One of the sins that are most definitely harmful to the believer for many reasons is immorality. 
It brings pain and harm, and it most certainly affects generations, unless there's repentance and healing. Are you with me? So we see that. The next thing, he says, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by the serpent, by serpents. So we see here that we know the story where, where basically the children of Israel start to moan and they speak against Moses and God and God sends serpents to destroy them. So we should not always be negative and complain all the time. Some of you think complaining is not a good, listen, complaining is not a good thing. They didn't always like the way Moses did things. You know, one thing about God's leadership is when you don't like what he does, he just, you know, sorts you out, one shot. You know what I mean? He's like really strict when it comes to that. Because when you come against his authority and cause people to turn against that, and I'm not speaking necessarily about an individual, I'm talking about God. He puts an end to it because it brings distraction. And we see it in Scripture over and over. Are you with me? So complaining, again, he says, nor complaining as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is when they began to complain about coming out of Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Meanwhile, God had delivered them. That's what happens. We, oh, you know, God, it's so difficult and it was better when I was jolling, when I was partying, when I was having a great time in the world. Now it's difficult and I have to serve you and I have to behave. You know, I mean, really. You know, I just don't want to do that. And there was, you know, we had all the spoils. Meanwhile, they were slaves being beaten, destroyed. The enemy had them by the neck. And that's what happens to us. We take for granted the mercy and the goodness of God, not realizing that the very things that we want to participate in will cause us to, to fall and harm us. Now, he's giving us these examples with purpose. He's not just saying it. He doesn't mention these things for nothing. Let's just go back to verse number 10. Nor complaining as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he's told us just a few examples, serious things that can affect where you are in Christ. And take a look at what he says next. He says again, now all these things happen to them as examples. He's already told us that, but he tells us again. When Paul says something twice, in just a few sentences, how many of you think you should pay attention? He says, all things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the age have come. Watch this, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. So he's saying, listen, God wants you to stand. When the enemy comes and attacks you, he wants you to stand. But there are certain pitfalls that will cause you to not be able to stand. That's why when the attack comes, that's why when things go wrong, we fall apart. Because we can't stand because we've allowed certain things in our lives to affect us, to take our eyes off God. When we're standing on the rock, how many of you know you must keep your eyes on Jesus? Keep your eyes on Him. Stay focused on Him. As soon as we begin to enter into those things that are harmful to us, they have the potential to rock us off our position. Are you with me? The Bible teaches us that we must stand. 
Psalm 24 verse number three says this, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He says in verse four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. It's very clear that if you want to stand, if you want to keep standing, I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about an individual whose intent is to serve God, is to follow God, is to seek after his righteousness. Are you with me? And when we enter into certain things, they have the potential to affect the way we stand. Proverbs 12, verse number seven. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. I want you to know that the only thing that qualifies you to be righteous is the blood of Jesus. He has made us righteous, but the Bible also teaches us that we should seek righteousness. In other words, we must have a desire to pursue the righteousness of God. So positionally, we have been clothed and made righteous, but we must never stop seeking righteousness. Because if we do, then all the things that we need will not be added unto us to fulfill our purpose. That's why many people think as Christians, you can just be passive. That's not going to do much for you. It's not going to help you to, to become everything God has called you to be. You are absolutely no threat to the enemy if you are passive, if you do nothing. Are you with me? I guarantee you, do nothing, nothing will happen. Joshua gives us a great example. Let's go to Joshua 7, verse number 10. Joshua 7, verse number 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Covenant people now. Israel has sinned, and they also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have, bro and, and, have, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. God does not want you to bring what is unclean, what is unpure, what is harmful into your life. Those are the things that will cause the enemy to shake you and knock you out of wanting to stand. God wants you to stand strong. God wants you to stand firm against every attack of the enemy, against every plan of the enemy. He wants you to be able to stand. But if you bring an accursed thing, if you begin to enter into something that is ungodly and is unrighteous, it has the potential to really cause you so he says in verse 12 therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things among you so you must understand God is saying listen you're in trouble if you keep doing this, you're in trouble. What you must understand is in Scripture, God never says, I'm going to destroy you or this is going to happen to you. He always gives a way out. He always gives the solution. So he's about to tell the children of Israel who have already done wrong in his sight that before I do anything or before harm comes to you or even I allow the enemy to destroy you, there is a way out. And he tells us, 
exactly what happens. He says, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand, everybody say stand, before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. God wants us to not enter into things that can harm us, that can destroy us, that can shake us. Are you with me? Jesus said it like this. Matthew 12, verse 25. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. We can stop there. In other words, if you are divided, one foot in the things of this world, one foot in the church, something's going to crack. You will not be able to stand. You will not be able to stand firm. This goes for everything. You see, many people think if they can just get this right spiritually, they'll be fine. But this goes into your business how you do business deals, how you deal with your family, how you deal with your children, your wife, how you take care of speaking to people, being with people. In every area of your life, we have to do what He says. Are you with me? And if we allow these things in, in any of those areas, they have the potential to affect our lives. And none of us want that, right? So what should we do you see, the Bible says many times that if we don't do this, we won't be able to stand. Or if we do this, if, we, if we're righteous, if we, if we have clean hands and a pure heart, we will be able to stand in His presence. So what is it that we have to stand against? We know that it's the enemy. And in the New Testament, there's a very clear picture of this, that the battle is not a natural one. That there is a spiritual enemy that wants to come against us. The good news is that God has given us weapons that will enable us to stand. Aren't you glad for the Word of God? Amen. So let's go take a look at those. I'm not going to go in depth this morning because I'll do a full teaching on this sometime in the future, but I'm going to give you just the foundation this morning. Ephesians 6 verse number 1. Ephesians 6 verse number 1. This is Paul. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand. We want to know what it is that we need to do so that we don't get shaken, so that we don't get taken off course, so that those things that can harm us will come and harm us. What should we do? He says that you should put on, watch this now, the whole armor, not some of the armor, the whole armor. In other words, if there are parts of your armor that are not in place, there is a risk of attack. And he specifically gives us the image of a Roman soldier. And if you understand warfare of that time, you will know that every part of the Roman soldier's army armor is extremely important to him being defensive and also offensive. They were, they were warriors, the likes of which planet Earth had not seen up until that point. They were fierce. Their weapons were very specifically made. 
And Paul is saying, listen, in order for you to be able to stand, you must put on the whole armor. I remember praying for a man once, many years ago. And while I was praying for him, it's like in my, in my, in my, my spirit, in my mind, I saw an, an image of him standing. And in the image, it was like he was standing and he was like in the, in the wind and I could see him standing there. And he had this armor on, but his armor was broken. There were pieces of his armor that were damaged, rusted, like they weren't working anymore. And I could see how the enemy was attacking him in those areas where parts of his armor were no longer being used. And it was so powerful to me. And I realized that he was struggling or he was not able to stand against the attacks that were coming to him because his armor was no longer functional. God has given you this armor so that you will be able to stand. Watch what he says now. Verse 11 in the B part. Against the wiles of the enemy, or the devil. Every attack. Listen, remember what I said. Satan has been around a long time. His demons have been around a long time. But God has given you weapons, full armor that you can put on. And when you put this on, you will be able to stand against every onslaught, every strategy, every satanic attack, every temptation that comes your way. If you put this armor on. There we go. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> if you put this armor on, Lord, I know you're testing me. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you put this armor on, it doesn't matter. You see, what happens is we think it's, we always try and sort of over-spiritualize it, but it's pretty simple really. What happens is the enemy will attack you in your marriage, for example. If you don't have your armor on, and I'll show you what to do in just a moment, what happens is there's a weakness, there's an area where that fiery dart, that, that, that strategy will be able to infiltrate you. And that's when division comes. That's when we begin to act in a way that we shouldn't act because we haven't put that full armor on. You must know something. Yes, the, the, the devil's been around a long time, but you serve the ancient of days. You serve the God who created everything. The Bible said that nothing was created, but that was created. Everything was created by Him. Before any of these things existed, He existed. And His strategy and weapons, I assure you, will be just as effective today as they were back in the days of Paul. Amen. All right. All right. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And now he tells us, for we do not wrestle. The word wrestle is the Greek word pale, which actually speaks of, of an ancient type of wrestling that was in a palestra where they would fight almost to the death. I want you to understand that the enemy does not like you and does not want you to become all God has called you to be. But look how organized the enemy is. Your fight's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, a certain rank of power, 
against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This describes certain ranks of evil spirits that have been sent out to attack you, that have a strategy against you. But the good news is, is that there is armor that you can put on to overcome every one of these attacks. And it's not that complicated. Let's take a look at it this morning. The first thing is he says this. He says, therefore, well, before we get into that, I want you to see this because this is so important. Verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He's already told us that. After he tells us right in the beginning that we need to take up the whole armor of God, he tells us that in order for us to overcome all of these different forces of darkness, again he tells us, take up the whole armor of God. And again he tells us that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to do what? To stand. In other words, every attack every plan, every strategy of the enemy, if you can stand firm in this full armor of God, you will overcome no matter how bad the attack is. There is no new attack. They are all the same in different ways and personalized for you. And do you see how many times he says, stand? He says that you may be able to stand. And then he says again, stand therefore. So he's now said, in order to stand, you have to take up the full armor. Now he's about to tell you how to do it. He says, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth. So the first part of armor that we have as Christians is the truth. The truth is simply this. The Bible is the Word of God. The written Word of God, or what we call the Logos Word of God. Every word in that Bible, every word in, that, in those Scriptures is His truth. Can you say Amen? And what that means is that if we put the belt of truth on, and there's a, it's very specific. God chose the truth to be the belt because the Roman soldier, his belt is the piece of equipment that would hold all the armor in place. If you don't have a belt, the sheath that your sword is in will fall to the ground. It will not hold your breastplate. They had a breastplate that would clip onto their belt, onto their, onto their belt to hold everything in place. It was very specific. And without the belt of truth, without the truth, all the other stuff becomes powerless because you cannot fight with the sword that is not truth. You cannot have a shield and put your faith in something that is not truth. There is only one truth, and it doesn't really matter what you think or what your opinion is. It matters not. It's simply what God's Word says. If God says it's evil, it's evil. If God says it's good, it's good. In order for all your armor and in for all the parts of what He has for you to, to be able to function, you must have the belt of truth. That's the first part of armor. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. How and for what? In righteousness. In other words, all of the scriptures, the truth is there to help us to live right. 
so that we can live right. Why? So that we can be blessed. He says in verse 17 that man, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, God wants you to do good work. That doesn't just mean in the church, guys. That means he wants you to be the best teacher that you can be. He wants you to be the best real estate agent that you can be. He wants you to be the best doctor that you can be. He wants you to be the best businessman that you can be. He wants you to stand. And when there's a deal that comes your way, what are you going to do? Are you going to do what's right? Are you going to do it the truthful, right way? Or are you going to do it the shady way? And then when it goes wrong, we go, oh God, why did you do this to me? No. You allowed an infiltration. You opened a door where the enemy has an opportunity to attack you. Are you with me? All right. That's the belt of truth. He goes on in verse 14. First he says, stand therefore having gird your waist with truth. This is Ephesians 6, 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of the Roman soldier was probably the most attractive part of his armor. It would shine, in, it, would, it would be a shiny piece of, 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 of um, equipment. And some actually say that, that in warfare, it would sometimes reflect and blind the enemy when they would come, the, the reflection would blind them. I don't know if that's true or not, but what I can tell you is that I've seen in deliverance, when you're doing deliverance, if you are walking with God, that the enemy will say to you, you're blinding me, you're blinding me. And that's not because of who you are, that's because of who he is, his righteousness in you. Are you with me? So we see that that righteousness, knowing who you are, walking in authority, walking as a child of God, is a beautiful piece of equipment that shines and not only is defensive in your front, but also in your back. It protects your front and your back and the breastplate protects your vital organs. If you stand for righteousness and for the, for the Word of God, you and your heart will always be protected and covered and shielded. The breastplate of righteousness. Decide to seek righteousness. Understanding that you are righteous because of Him and what He has done for you. And you will always remain with that breastplate. Are you with me? Isaiah 59, 17, Old Testament now says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. This is talking about the Lord here. Very powerful. Ephesians 6, let's go back and read the next part of the armor. This is one of my personal favorite. I really love them all, but this one is just special. Ephesians 6 15 says having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace we think of peace and we think peace and yes it's true it does take us into a place where we have peace but Jesus said this my peace I give you not as the world does the peace that God gives us the peace that Jesus left us is a peace that surpasses understanding in other words, it's not a peace that comes to us by our feelings or how we feel or what's going on in our emotions. It surpasses our understanding. In other words, when the enemy attacks you, 
And this is why this part of the weaponry is so important. When the enemy attacks you and you are able to stand and not submit to his attack by going back to that little list that I gave you at the beginning of the sermon today, the sexual immorality, the complaining, the bitterness, going back to those things of the past. If you can stand and stand truthful and not go back to those things of this world because it's gotten a little difficult. Remember, in the, in, in the wilderness, it was not easy. So they wanted to revert back to those things when what they didn't realize is everything they needed was right there in front of them. God will bring a peace into your life if you are able to withstand in that moment. And what happens is, look at what the Bible says. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Listen, the, the, the weapon of peace is extremely powerful. The Roman soldiers' sandals or shoes, many scholars agree that it would have spikes on the bottom. If you Google it, you'll see them. Some scholars believe they had these really large spikes. Some say they had smaller spikes. Maybe it was both. <laughs> the fact is they had these spikes. And these spikes would be used to hold them in place. So when they would be attacked, it would be like, like if you had like soccer or, or, or football shoes. I don't know what they call them in the United States. <laughs> I call them what? Okay, that's it. Cleats. Amen. And so, you, so you're standing there and it's keeping you stable. You're still able to do what? Stand. You're able to stand. You're not being swayed. You've had a bit of a bump in the road, but you're able to stand. But not only does it do that, you see, when the enemy, when the Roman soldiers would attack, and you've all seen this in movies, they would go and they would literally trample over the enemy. And those spikes would bring destruction to their enemy. The God of peace will crush the enemy under your feet. Let me tell you something. There is nothing that Satan hates more than a Christian that has not been shaken by an attack, by an onslaught. When you stand, listen, he thinks you're about to fall apart because of what's just happened in your life. But you say, God, I still trust you. Your truth says that your mercy endures forever. Your truth says that, you're, that you are good, God, that you will get me through this. That's what your word says. I might not feel like it's okay. I might feel like I'm about to fall apart, but I'm not going back to those things in the world. I'm not going back to those old ways. I'm not going back to that addiction. I'm not going back to that immorality to get me and make me feel better, God. I'm gonna stay strong. And what happens when you do that? The Bible says it like this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will? What you must realize about the enemy is that he does grow weary. I need to say that again. You've got to realize, you think that the enemy is like this. He's nothing like God. He is not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing, all-powerful. He is not. He gets tired. And if when he attacks you, you submit to God and you resist him and you, you, he does it again and you resist him, eventually he will do something. He will go. He will leave. That's the shoes of peace. 
And it's incredible how once you've able to weather the storm, I remember once I phoned my dad. I was having a really, 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 really rough time. That happens to pastors every now and then. <clears throat> and I just wanted to literally fall apart. I mean, I was just like, I was done. And I phoned him and I just said to him, I just like, I just like, I like, I just said, ah, oh, you know. And then he just said to me, you can do it. And I just, I was fortunate to have, I have a great dad, guys. I'm very blessed. So if you're watching, dad. Anyway, all right. And I remember just sitting there, and I, I remember within myself knowing that I have a choice now to allow my emotions to be overtaken by this. And I chose to just, just take it, just handle it. And it wasn't just, it wasn't like not even five minutes later, there was a peace. That's impossible. Where did it come from? It's like it was, it was, it almost was like it was a test. Like, could I handle it? You have no idea. There have been times where I said to Naomi, listen, it's this, I just, I can't preach this weekend, love. I just can't do it. I just can't. It's just, it's just too hard. You know, it's, it's just too much. And then I go and I pray and I say to the Lord, Lord, I just, you know, you know me. I just, this is just too much, Lord. I just, not, I just can't do it. I'm just going to find the pastors, let them do it. Next week I'll preach again, God. But, you know, and then it's like something inside me rises up and says to me, if you do it, there's victory on the other side. There's peace on the other side. And I can tell you right now that when I come into this place and I begin to minister, I'm sometimes astounded at what God does. I, it's like I'm watching myself and I'm thinking, how is this even happening? And I just love God so much because it's like, it's like, you know, you leave church and you feel, man, that was good, you know? I don't feel the same way. I hope you feel that way. I feel that way. <laughs> I leave church and I'm like, man, the Word of God was so great today. It was so powerful. It's, it's changing me. I'm preaching to me too, you know. All right, peace. Let's move on. <laughs> A great weapon. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's go back to Ephesians 6. Verse number 16, above all, <clears throat> above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This does not mean that it is the most important piece of armor. What it means is it will protect you completely. If you are able to put your faith entirely in him, in His truth, in His ways, in His nature, in who God is, faith will rise up in you and like the Roman soldier's shield would completely protect him. And if you would ever see them attack in a group, it was the most beautiful thing to watch. They would kind of like do this little call and then they would all run together. And then they would have like all the shields on the front and then all the other shields would be on top of them. And every dart, every 
whose arrow that the, that the enemy would shoot at the Roman soldiers would not be able to touch them. That's what he means when he says above all. So it completely surrounds you. It completely protects you. If you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in him, it's one thing to believe the word. It's another thing to put it into action. You can believe the truth, but you must put your faith in it. You must put your faith in God and believe that His Word will get you through it. Listen, even when you don't feel like it, that's the test, guys. When you just feel like you can't, that's the true test. Amen. Verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, the Roman soldier's helmet, when they would go in parades, would have this great big feather that would be absolutely stunning. And people say, and, and many scholars will write there, they, they, they say that it, it represents how glorious your salvation is. But you must understand that understanding your salvation is so much more than just what it looks like. It protects your mind. Remembering that your name is written in the book of life and that no matter what you've done, you can get up from it and you can continue to run your race. Your salvation is protection for your mind, your soul. So many Christians struggle. They're like yo-yos up and down. One day it's going well, the next day it's going bad. The next day it's going, listen, even when it's going bad, it must be going well with you. Because you know that you're saved. You know that He's your God. You know that He's got your back. Are you with me? The helmet of salvation. And I have to just be biased and say that the next part of the armor is my personal favorite purely because it's the part that you finally get to the place where you begin to go on the offense. Even though some of the other armor is also offensive. This is the part that is simply a weapon. It says in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now remember, when we speak of truth, the truth is what it is. It's simply God's Word. We have a word for that. And in Scripture, you'll see this word used many times for the word, Word. <laughs> the Word of God, which is Logos. The written Word of God. But in the context here in Scripture where he says, which the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's the Greek word, Rhema which is the spoken Word of God, which is where the Word of God is no longer just words on the page, but has now become meaning to you. And it has become a weapon because now it's not only God speaking, but you as well. So you come in alignment with Him. Watch what the Bible says. Hebrews 4 verse number 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, the Word of God when it's in your mouth, when it's rhema, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, listen, it's like two edges. His word speaking, your mouth speaking, a two-mouthed sword that has power to strike down every force of darkness. You see, you need all these parts of, the, of, of, of weaponry for every onslaught or attack of the enemy. And when he comes at you, don't just be defensive, but go at him. The Bible says when Peter 
said to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. It's amazing because Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he says this, and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. In other words, listen, when you get revelation, you see what what Peter did was he agreed with what was true. Jesus was the son of God. The others were saying, you know, he's a prophet and some say this and some say that. But I realize that you are the son of God, which was truth. And that truth had power. That truth had the potential and ability to break the power and the forces of darkness. That's what happens when God's word becomes truth in your heart and you also begin to speak it and live it. Are you with me, guys? Amen. So we see all the different parts of armor and many people will stop at that place. But I really believe the next verse is so important. And so many of us overlook this because it doesn't speak of armor. But in verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18, he says this, and I believe this is the part that solidifies this for us. Remember, he's given us weapons. These weapons, he tells us, are not fleshly, but they are spiritual weapons. Now he's about to tell us where to fight. Watch this. All right, there we go. All right. We will fix this this week. Amen. All right. He says in verse 18, praying always. When should we pray? So please explain to me how it is that in church today they can teach that we don't have to pray anymore. You know, prayer is not that important. You don't need to pray much. Just, you know, it's not important anymore. He says here, he says, praying always. Why? Because that's where you can actually begin to be an active participator in the battle. With all prayer, there are different kinds of prayer. Next year, in the beginning of the year, I'm going to do a whole series and teach you all the different types of prayer. But he says, With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, that's where the battle is. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. Okay. And supplication for all the saints. Many times you will feel like you are not getting the breakthrough. But he says, when you pray, do so with perseverance. Don't give up. Jesus taught us that when you pray, He said, this is how you should pray. And He gives an example of a woman that wants vengeance and goes to a judge. It's a parable. And says to the judge, listen, you need to avenge me. And the judge doesn't pay attention to her. But she keeps on going back and keeps on going back. And because she kept on coming to Him, He eventually answered her and did what she asked. The Bible tells us this being an unjust judge, how much more 
Would your Father in heaven give to those who are righteous, that walk with Him. He is a good God. If you are persistent, if you never give up, well, how many times should I pray? Until you are no longer here. You keep on doing it. You keep on fighting. You keep on going. You never give up. Are you with me, guys? Amen. God is so good. This is your armor. And it doesn't matter where you are right now in the, in the balance of, of everything I've said this morning. Because you see, God never changes. The Bible says this. And I cannot give you one reference because there are just too many. It says that His mercy is everlasting. So even if you failed a hundred times, if you are still here, His mercy, His grace is sufficient for you. You see where He says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more is not because, because it's now we must just go and sin. It's because now if you're ready to get up and keep running your race, there is grace for you. Remember what he said to the children of Israel. He said to them, listen, if you get that accursed thing out of your life, I'll come and get you. I'll rescue you from the enemy. Are you with me? So this morning in this place, I want you to know that his mercy and his grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, this morning in this place, we give you thanks, God, for your grace and for your mercy, for your love. We honor you, Lord, and we are so thankful to you that you are good. Lord, you, have, you, you said in your word, you do not want us to be unaware of these things that took place before so that we could learn from them and not make the same mistakes. You said, Lord, that it was what caused them, some who thought they were standing, they were not standing. And you said to us that we should stand and your word is clear. It teaches us what to do so that we will be able to stand. So I pray this morning, Father, for every person under the sound of my voice in this building or watching online, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we can get up from that situation, from that pain, from that addiction, from that problem, whatever it is. And we can say, God, here I am. And this morning I decide I am going to stand. I'm going to stand with the breastplate of righteousness, with the belt of truth, with my feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with the shield of faith, with the helmet of salvation. And I want your word, God, to, to be in my hands, the sword of the Spirit. I choose this morning to serve you to follow you. Your ways, God. Your truth, not my truth. Your peace, not the world's peace. And I give you thanks for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're just going to be one more minute. If you've come here this morning and you don't know Jesus or your life is not right, if you don't know Jesus and you need to get right with Him, I want to ask you, I want to pray for you. 
just quickly slip your hand up so I can see where you are. If you know your life isn't right with him, quickly slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. God bless you, young man. Thank you. God bless you over there. God bless you. Thank you so much. I see you in the back. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else say, that's me, Pastor Alex. I need to give my heart to him. I'm not standing. Raise your hand. I'll include you in this prayer. God bless you. Thank you, sir. If, you, if you've served the Lord, but your life has fallen apart, you're definitely not standing at all anymore. You've lost your way, but you want to get up and say, I'm going to do this. Include me in this prayer. Raise your hand. I'll include you this morning. God bless you. 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 I see your hand. Once you've put it, you can, once I see you, you can, you can put it down. God bless you. Thank you in the back. I see your hand. Last call. If you say, Pastor, I want to be included in this prayer this morning, please include me. This day I decide to stand. God bless you. I'll include you. Last calls. Thank you so much. God bless you. Can we all stand for just a moment? Amen. If you raised your hand this morning, we are going to pray this prayer. But church, can I ask every one of us, Let's pray this. You know, I've prayed this prayer so many times and I do it every time with all of my heart. So if you raised your hand this morning, pray this this morning with your whole heart and know that He hears you and He answers you. Remember, His mercy endures forever. It is everlasting. And make a decision this morning to follow Him. Let's bow our heads and can I ask everybody to pray, but especially you that, that raised your hand this morning. Amen. Say, Father... I come to you today. I believe Jesus died and rose again. He is the Son of God. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me in your blood. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. This morning, Lord, I choose to stand. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, Father, just fill each and every person in this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, fill them up this morning. Lord, give them breakthrough and healing and deliverance. And let this be the beginning of a new season, of a new day in the lives of every single person. We love you and we honor you. Father, we are so grateful for every life that has been touched this morning. Thank you, Father, that your word is true and is powerful. And we just honor you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Now I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the love of the Father and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you as you leave this place today. Go in His peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big clap. Amen.